When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part, for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm your radio, radio show! Hello and welcome to the Nile Nine podcast. It is episode 121 of the Nile Nine podcast, and um, we have a very particular topic we're going to talk about on this show, Andrea, aren't we? Yeah. So we originally had a completely different episode planned this week, and uh, radio headbands. We're sorry, we don't know if we're going to get to that, but we might. So stay tuned. But this week we actually decided to scrap that to talk about something else, which is the newest installment of the New York Times present series uh, that was produced for FX and Hulu in the States, which aired this week, the New York Times presents Framing Britney Spears. And if you're a fan of music, and particularly if you're a fan of pop music, you have probably either seen the documentary already, even though it hasn't aired in the UK and Ireland yet, or you've at least seen the headlines and the discussion around it uh, on Twitter or wherever you get your cultural conversation. Britney was so serious and so focused. This is a girl that's coming from strength. She was so open and vulnerable. How we treated her was disgusting. Britney had to navigate being told who she could be and what she could do. People became fascinated with her sort of unraveling. She accepted that the conservatorship was going to happen, but she didn't want her father to be conservative. That was her one request. And anytime there's that amount of money to be made, you have to question the motives of everyone close to that person. Do they always have her best interest at heart? Something is going on behind the scenes here. I didn't understand what a conservatorship is, especially for somebody capable of so much that I know firsthand she's capable of. Why is she still in this? Why is her dad making all of her decisions? So the story of Britney Spears is kind of the story that we haven't heard out loud yet. Um, It's about a star who shot to fame and we are seeing what is 
really the inverse of the story that we've been told, which is that Britney Spears was plucked from her talented youth where she was singing and dancing and being a very talented young girl and then went on to achieve global stardom, had a breakdown for no reason and the rest is history. And that's the version of the story that we've been told. But framing Britney Spears is really a look at the framing devices that have defined Britney Spears, whether that is by the paparazzi, by the media, by the pop fans themselves, by bloggers like Perez Hilton, by documentary makers in the past, and of course, by her father um, and the conservatorship battle that she is still going through to relinquish uh, control of her career, public appearances and assets and finances from her father. So during the week, I jumped on a Zoom call with writer, journalist and pop critic Louise Bruton to talk about the documentary and this sort of hidden world of Britney Spears, the conspiracy theories, what we know, what we don't. So listeners will hear her popping in during this episode because it is only right that we got someone like Louise in, or particularly Louise in, who I think is a, a Britney Spears expert, while the two of us would not exactly be Britney Spears experts. I think that's probably fair to say, Noel. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair to yeah. say. But I think it's important also, I mean, it's great. We're, it's, we're going to talk to Louise. Louise is going to give us uh, great insights. We know that. But, you know, I think the reason we're talking about this now is because of this documentary. But also, you know, in the last few years, we'd all heard about the Free Britney hashtag and maybe the word conservatorship and kind of wondered what it was about. And the documentary really is the chance to understand what that means and why her fans are talking about it in such a strong way. Because, you know, even thinking back to the idea of or that viral video of Lee Britney alone, it kind of, this documentary helps explain. I think there's a lot of talk here about um, control of artists, control of um, entertainment uh, people, their the control of their finances. And we've seen a lot of this kind of stuff in the last 10 or 15, 20 years. You know, I see parallels between that and what happened to Kanye West last year and the way that people were talking about Kanye West. So while we think that, yeah, we've had documentaries like Amy, um, about Amy Winehouse, and, you know, we've had people in the industry talk about how we need to look after artists and an increased focus on mental health. At the same time, there's still a lot of this happening. This is a particular issue because it's her father, Jamie Spears, who's in control. So we will get into more about that and just explain what all that is about. I thought the documentary was a very succinct way of understanding the story of Britney Spears and not about the music, but more about the uh, control of her finances and at the fact that she came from one of the Mouseketeers from a very young age and she was never really quite free uh, uh, in the same way as most people are because, you know, the child star thing is is a particular beast. This is uh, at the root of the problem, it seems. So, but the documentary does a great job of explaining it. 75 minutes does a great job of explaining where she came from, who we think she is perhaps, but also why she became basically a punch bag of pop culture, how she was kind of used by the paparazzi. So I guess we can we can start with the with um the the framing itself. So this is 
obviously it's produced by the New York Times and it is directed by Samantha Stark and written by New York Times senior editor or senior story editor Liz Day. And it is a it, it is a story of Brittany told by women, which is something that we haven't really seen yet. There are moments in the throughout the documentary when you watch it where you're seeing Britney Spears interacting with paparazzi, you're seeing her interacting with um interviewers with hosts of huge television uh, shows and it's rare that you actually see her interacting with women so I think it, it was really important for for women to tell this story when she was speaking to Marie Claire uh, she did a re- re- really good interview uh, Samantha Stark the uh, director said as we were researching for the film it was hard to find coverage that was not written by men it was hard to find people to interview at first who weren't men because so many of the usual suspects were men. Since we wanted to do this retelling, it felt like we need a female perspective on this. It's ridiculous that it hasn't happened yet. And I think that this documentary is a way to rectify that narrative. Um, it is, it's not ideal. The ideal scenario would be Britney Spears herself having the freedom to tell her own story. Um, but as is noted in the in the documentary, that is probably not going to happen uh, anytime soon. We should say that Britney Spears was reached out to by the filmmakers and it was unclear to them whether or not she got the message. So, yeah, it's a very interesting cast of characters in the documentary itself. It's, it kind of spans from lawyers, pop critics, fans, um, paparazzi family, friends. Uh, but of course, that notable absence is, is Brittany herself, who doesn't have the legal control to appear publicly and from whom we, we might never. And indeed, anyone's actually involved in, in from the family and who's involved in a conservatorship. Yeah. So should we explain that? So because that's kind of the crux of this whole um, documentary and explain what that sure. actually is. So Br- Brittany's conservatorship, it it is something in the documentary, it's noted that conservatorship is rarely used for somebody as young as Britney Spears. It's usually enacted when somebody doesn't have the physical or mental capacity to control their own assets. And what it means is that Britney does not have access to or control of her own finances. She doesn't have control of her career. She cannot make creative decisions. When your career and your means of making money and your means of self-expression are, as an artist, taking away those liberties means that you are controlling the life of this person. So in the documentary, you know, we hear it's a very short, positive history of Britney as the pop star coming through. Uh, what, What becomes very apparent very quickly is that. Well, her dad is not painted in a good light, straight up. Anyone who talks about him just t- says all he ever talked about was the money and how she was going to make him famous and get him a big car, a big boat, whatever it is. The painting of him in this documentary is literally that he wants money and he's not really interested in looking after his uh, daughter. There's, But generally, there's a through line here of misogyny around uh, Brittany in terms of you mentioned about you know it's mostly men talking to her but as well as that like it talks about the fallout of the, the Justin Timberlake relationship which was such a big deal at the time and how the line of questioning around um, everything to do with that relationship well, she was blamed for everything that happened with Justin Timberlake he blamed her and as a result everyone the line of questioning became oh you're not that innocent what did you do to him I have to ask a couple of things about Justin. Okay, of course. He has gone on television. 
and pretty much said, you broke his heart. You did something that caused him so much pain, so much suffering. What did you do? Her image was being painted as, oh, what did you do to cause the breakup? You must have done something, not him. Brittany Spears has upset a lot of mothers in this country, starting with the wife of the governor of Maryland. Really, if I had an opportunity to, to shoot Britney Spears, I think I would. Oh, that's horrible. Well, she, that's really bad. Because of the example for kids and how hard it is to be a parent. Well, that's really sad that she said that. Ew. I'm not here to, you know, babysit her kids. So this became this the real start of the a prodding into her private mm. life and showing the real double standard that this... Um, her she has lived through as a female pop star because you know Justin didn't have that and the same it's like following on from like the Super Bowl situation where Justin and performed with Janet that year and he was where where there was a malfunction wardrobe malfunction but he was not somehow implicated in that mm -hmm. at all so when it comes to the Britney thing it's like I think it's really interesting because there is that through line there of misogyny uh, throughout the whole uh, line of questioning around her. I thought it was really interesting we got to the paparazzo being interviewed. I think the more time goes on the and the more you see and feel what that might be like to live in a world where you're being followed around by people at all times. Beyond just seeing photos in on the screen or in a magazine, just seeing what that would actually be like and feeling, you really feel that experience in the documentary. And just the fact that this paparazzo could not understand how following her around could see how damaging yeah. that would be it was like she was being nice to them because she had no other choice to be and he did not see that she it may he couldn't objectively even see that it this might actually be bad it's for one her. of the starkest moments of the documentary when when he says she ne she never asked me, uh, she never asked us to leave her alone um to which the interviewer says what about when she asked you to leave her alone i i don't really think and i don't really believe because you know, working on her for so many years, she never gave a clue or information to us that I don't appreciate you guys. Leave me the F alone. What about when she said, leave me alone? There were times where she like, can you leave me alone for the day? But it wasn't like, leave me alone forever. You know what I mean? I saw somebody put up on Twitter a, a screen grab of that, of just those two lines. And which is the caption of this, this is the problem with men. <laughs> and, and it is, it, it, it sums up a, it sums up the kind of ownership that, um, that the media and the media at this time and arguably today is run by men. Um, it is men who are buying these photographs. It's men who are taking these photographs. It's men who are commissioning people to go out and hound people. And I think that part of the problem there was that American media and culture did not know how to handle a young female pop star that had the fame that Britney Spears had. There simply wasn't anybody who who was in the media, who was her level of fame and also her age, her particular look, the kind of the dichotomy between the Southern Christian girl 
and the Lolita sex object. And it, it really speaks to, to, to the misogyny. Um, I spoke to Louise about what the pop landscape was like before Britney Spears and how she changed it. Well, the thing I think about Britney Spears was and like the likes of like, say, Backstreet Boys and NSYNC who kind of came later. We never really had that many teen pop stars performing for a teen market like before then you would have had like maybe the Spice Girls who were then in their kind of early 20s I assume um and then you would have had the likes of maybe like Tony Braxton TLC like these were these were all adults who were performing on MTV but it was largely a child and teen audience Uh, teen girls would be the biggest consumers of like pop music and pop culture but then there was probably the stereotype where they're like teen girls or young girls only like boys. So that's where that came along. But then when Britney Spears came along, she just sort of captured the attention of not just America, but like the the, the entire world with the release of her of her first single. So her first single was 1998 and then the album came in 1999. So we had we had like a good run of of this pop star who was still kind of in the development stages as they were going through with Baby One More Time, the single. And the fact was that she was a teenage girl who actually looked like a teenage girl and who was singing these very teen sentiments. Like the fact the line is my loneliness is killing me. Like that is the most melodramatic line that you could probably have. You could then kind of look to her and aspire to her to be as something that you could be when you eventually became a teenager. And I think that that was then solidified with the release of like the single Sometimes, which was just but she just captured this sort of teen dream of like, you just want to be this like beautiful, athletic teen who seems to have just men falling at her feet, but she's still like trying to figure out her place within the world of being this like this teen dream. She stood out even more because at the time she initially she was just the one. And then eventually kind of Christina Aguilera, who came not that long after her and then Jessica Simpson and then Mandy Moore. It just started this like effect. So then that effect kind of became watered down in the same way that the boy band effect became watered down because pe- some people wouldn't have been able to tell the difference between Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and like all of that kind of thing. And then that eventually became the case with the kind of the blonde pop gals. But Britney Spears was the mm. first of that generation. So she is the de- definitive pop princess. That Britney Spears just came out alone. So that's why I think that she just made such an immediate impact. So for me, the idea of a paparazzi following you around and even if they're being nice to you on the surface I mean that's a form of public torture it's like you know it's like being waterboarded being waterboarded is like a small thing that over and over again happens and it makes you feel like you're going to die it makes you feel like you are trapped Um, and that is exactly what is but being followed around every day by a load of (laughs) Paparazzi is like. Oh, guys, let her out! Come on, go! Back up! 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 Come on, let her out! 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 Let her that was kind of like the peak moment, but it was building up for so long beforehand. Beforehand, Gossip sites like Perez Hilton and The Superficial, every single day they had a story about Britney Spears. And like, this is me being someone who was in college with dial-up internet in Dublin. Yeah. I knew exactly what was happening on the streets of Los Angeles because like they were being hounded by her. 
there was this like a higher consumption of like gossip. So what happened with Britney Spears was she probably did have a relationship with the paparazzi in the beginning where she would maybe kind of let like let them know where she was because beforehand she would have been used to giving the exclusive interview with Rolling Stone with Us Weekly with people where she would have maybe have had a good relationship with them and she'd be kind of like yeah absolutely no problem and like there is one thing that's always said about Britney Spears is that she is incredibly polite like there's one thing that she always says is I am a southern girl but then it got to the point where their narrative changed because um, the narrative around Britney did change after the split from Justin Timberlake, where it was suddenly like, oh, the good girl cheats. Oh, the good girl has sex. The good girl um, goes out and parties. And this was like in around when she was like turning 21 as well. So that was all kind of like linked up. And then you could see things where they were they were fully just like hounding her. And it kind of came to see that her social life was just driving around Los Angeles. Like that, that was what she did. Like she wasn't necessarily going to clubs because she couldn't go to clubs anymore because there was no privacy there. So she used to just like drive the streets at night and the paparazzi would follow her. So that's why if you ever like look look up like Britney Spears paparazzi photos, she's almost always at like petrol stations or using public yeah. public toilets in petrol stations. Like that was that was her life, just kind of going to and from or like driving to and from Starbucks. And then the kind of images as she was kind of, becoming mentally very visibly unwell the way that it was like documented it wasn't done in a in a caring way um I think there's like a Rolling Stones article that's all about how she went into a boutique and she was wearing a white t-shirt and she was wearing a pair of underwear and a pair of like fishnet leggings and they weren't kind of like oh I hope she's okay they just kind of went into detail they're like and she had stains on her t-shirt and she had menstrual strains on her underpants and she blah 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 like it was just it was just like this mess of a woman, like there was no consideration, there was no nothing. And it did become like a full blown circus. So when she was then having a gradual breakdown, there's like videos of her full on sobbing on like street curbs and in restaurants. Like there's there's a video of her holding her baby inside a restaurant and she is sobbing and she's by herself and there's no one going to near her to ask her if she's okay. And it's just like loads of paparazzi just like taking this like video of her through a window. And we consumed it. She's kind of like an archival history of what not to do in terms of dealing with person with mental health issues, but also in in media consumption. But all of that footage is still there, whereas nowadays that's all removed as, as soon as it's put up. And I think after the Justin thing, then we have she Ke- Britney gets into a relationship with Kevin Federline, and they have uh, two kids, and that becomes a whole. It's it's a difficult relationship. It's a we don't really know exactly what the what's happening there, but essentially there's wrestle over the control of the kids, and this is played out in public every time she goes in to public with her kids. She's there. She's photographed, and there is. The interesting one I thought was um, the first thing that kind of signals that there's a picture of her where she's holding her baby in the front seat uh, while she's driving her car. And she explains it to Matt Lauer. Matt Lauer, of course, was uh, me too a couple of years ago. But she explains it to him. She's like, well, first of all, it said that this is something her dad used to do as if to signal that he was a bad father himself. And then secondly, 
he said she was saying, you know, she just wants to get she was trying to get away from the paparazzi who were hounding her the whole time. And yes, she made a decision that maybe she shouldn't have. But the starkness of what Matt Lauer asks her is like, is Brittany a bad mom? You've got all these legitimate people weighing in, saying, you know what? That's dangerous. And she put her child at risk. You saw the questions that were being asked. Is Brittany a bad mom? Mm-hmm. I mean, That's America for you. <laughs> what, what the documentary showed very well was that it, again, framed what the, what the actual context is when you are being followed by paparazzi. You, you likened it there to, to kind of... To, to waterboarding. It is a slow torture and it is ownership. I mean, when, when you're talking about the early to mid 2000s, a photograph of Britney Spears, as is noted in in the documentary, could go for a million dollars. That is, that, that is something that can make or break uh, a newspaper, a magazine, a paparazzo. It, it makes and breaks careers. So the ownership over Britney Spears' body, there was a financial interest from people who are bad actors um, in in that. And she doesn't get to not smile. She doesn't get to not be polite to them. And it is something that we've only really come to terms with as a culture and as women in the past decade, two decades maybe, um, Arguably, it's still going on. The, the the expected politeness of women, the expected um, complicity in having their narrative controlled by somebody else. Because when when Britney Spears decides to be polite to paparazzi, um, that's really not her decision. Because if she isn't polite to them, it can ruin her career and it can make the career of men. So it's it's a very interesting ownership and power play that she resisted then during her during her breakdown and something that i found really quite illuminating about the moment when she shaves her head publicly and as well as that the moment when she quote unquote attacks a paparazzi's car with an umbrella is that we are shown the moving images of those moments. And when we've been, like, we're so used to seeing video now, when you decide as, as, a, as a photo editor to publish a photograph of Britney Spears where she is, where she looks anguished and scared and quote unquote manic while she's shaving her head or where she's mid quote unquote attack on a paparazzi with a with an umbrella, you are deciding what the story is. And what I really liked about the documentary is that it didn't it didn't just show those photographs, it showed the context around them. It showed her as as a moving, living, breathing body and not as an image and not as a, a, an iconic moment in time, which I think had had been the push up up until then. I mean, even if you think about her her famous, you, you say the Rolling Stone cover, you immediately know what people are talking about. And what I think the documentary did really well was to contextualize her as a, as a living person and not just as a, a still image. And Louise speaks a bit about this as well. Well, actually, there was one thing that I was really grateful in the documentary was that they used only flattering footage of her. 
because I think mm. a lot of the time, and this is probably why Beyonce has kind of like taken such control over what photos of her are published from like concerts and all that. For every stunning photo of a performer on stage, there's going to be a really unflattering angle. And you can do that with any performer as fit or as healthy or whatever they are. But with Britney mm. Spears, a lot of the time, media does go for the least flattering photo of her, even if she is actually really healthy and like looking great. It's just decided to make Britney look bad. And like she kind of was, yeah. she was the running joke for a long time, for a long, long time. Say on X Factor, there's so many, when she was a judge on X Factor, there's so many videos of her where she just doesn't look like she knows where she is. And the footage that they chose to use, she was clear, she was present, she was articulate. Um, I think that that was very good because I think a lot of the time we've just, we've just chosen to see the bad stuff. Um, yeah. But a lot of the time there, there is a coherence and like she's, she's always looked great. Like, but it was just a lot of the time people choose to look at the bad photos and be like, oh, she's a mess. Yeah, and that, you know, I mean, in the context of, of, of the act of shaving her head, which was, see, was the story in the media at the time was such like, oh, look, she's gone crazy. She's lost her mind. I mean, it's simply an act of frustration, an act of self-control, of self-assertion. Um, you know, we can see that now. You're being followed when, you know, your visitation rights to your kids are being taken away and you're... The father of your children is refusing to let you see your kids, and I mean, and then there's people following your every move. You've no, you've no personal space at all. You've no private life. You can only lash out on the thing that people are exploiting you for, which is your image. So when she shaved her head, what I thought was so amazing about that moment and seeing it in video was how ecstatic and liberated she looked. She, I, I found myself rooting for her in that moment. I was like, yeah, girl shave your head. Don't let them dictate what you can and can't do with your body because she has had, she, she hasn't had ownership over her body since she was eight years old. She has been primed and prepped and taught to be a pop star. And I mean, when you're talking about somebody who is entering a pop arena in 1998, our ideas of body image for women were, were completely different then. And they actually went on to be defined by Britney Spears. I mean, if you think about what the what the defining beauty standard for women in the 1990s and early 2000s was, it was the stomach. You know, you, you could argue now that it's, it's the Kim Kardashian curves, but at that time it was a flat, flat stomach. And I mean, there's, there's a moment that I was actually a bit disappointed it wasn't included in the documentary, but there's a moment where she appears on TRL in the US. And I think it's Carson Daly interviewing her and she had had her belly button pierced and this was international news and she she flashes the belly button and you can see that she's a bit uncomfortable and you can see that she's thinking why is this such a big deal talk about we got the grammys to talk about we got a new album to talk about and oh, we yeah. need to get into a video but first you got some uh, you got some belly news from what i understand oh, yeah. i pierced my belly <laughs> oh let's have a look can we see oh yeah i guess so oh, oh ow oh wow <laughs> and you're making the big that. announcement one more time one more okay. time we got to get a good shot of that Ooh, <laughs> this is we got the scoop this is a big announcement but she came to like her stomach as silly as it sounds came to define what the broader landscape of women's bodies and women's body ideals meant and to have that on one person, to on one young woman, is is such a, it's it, it's incomprehensible 
to 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 anybody who hadn't gone through it. And so I I think that moment of her shaving her head because the other iconic thing about her was her blonde hair and everything that that represents in white heteronormative American media in in the 1990s and 2000s. You know, she's a good Christian girl. She's white. She's got blonde hair. She's innocent. She prays to God. She says her please and thank you. She has to talk about her virginity. Um, She, you know, she has to be nice to everybody, no matter how mean they are to her. Like there's some footage in in where, I I don't know if it's in a, it's something like in a, some sort of European TV show or something like that, where he's like, we have to talk about your breasts. And it was like, And she's just smiling. Everyone's talking about it. Why? Well, your breasts. (laughs) My breasts. You seem to get furious when, a talk show host comes up with this <laughs> subject. And she's just like, okay, yeah. yeah, like, yeah. And, it, and when she does get shave her head, what she says is that she doesn't want anyone to touch yes. her when she's yeah. doing it. And I think that that's, that, that, that's, a, that's a physical uh, protest. And it's also when she says touch her, I think she means that metaphorically as well. That it is a, that she feels in that moment like the paparazzi are on her that they are physically uh, harassing her. And to take away the freedom of somebody to be able to walk to and from her car or to be able to stop at a petrol station or to go in and out of a shop without without having to smile, without having to stop. And Jesus, I, I can count on maybe my two hands the amount of times in my life that men have told me to smile or you know, smile will never happen or you, you have such a lovely smile. Why don't you smile? And all, those 10 times, even thinking about them now, I'm furious. I cannot imagine what it is like to have to rely on politeness for your job um, and that that level of misogynistic politeness and Christian politeness and the the extent to which she is held up as the ideal woman. It was absolutely astounding. What follows in 2008 is really third act of this story. Um, you know, um, we're talking about a person who's suffering mentally because she has no private life. She's been followed everywhere um, and she loses visitation rights of her kids. And at the same time, her dad files for the conservatorship. So, I mean, as a reminder, what the conservatorship is, you're basically taking over somebody's affairs, somebody's life, somebody's business, and because they can't do it themselves. So since 2008 to currently, present day, uh, February 2021, Britney Spears has not been in control of her own life or business affairs, even though in that time she has spent a lot of it performing and doing tours and all that kind of stuff and making brand deals and all this kind of things. She has been (coughs) under... Uh, a form of coercion that allows that means that in order for her to see her kids in order for her to have access to her kids and for her to her for her to to have some sort of private life um her father jamie is in control of her both her estate and her mm. person and something that's really important about the conservatorship during that time is that she was um, under she she undertook one of the or I think the most successful Las Vegas residency in history. That is not something that you can do. You, like you you cannot go out there and perform every night unless you are well enough to control your own career, your own life, your own finances. 
that that's not something that is a thing. Mm, and I'd need to check the timeline on this. I'm not sure precisely when it happened, but it's it's shown in the in the documentary that the conservatorship was altered so that it became a kind of a hybrid conservatorship slash business opportunity for the people who were controlling her narrative. So the onus on the people who are controlling her career and her life, her father, for for him to leave that, for him to not want to partake in that anymore, it wouldn't make sense for him financially. Like there is, there is now, once that happens, an incentive for him to run her conservatorship like a business. And that is something that a US court approved, which is just, it's genuinely astounding. And the the documentary does explain, you know, with the conservatorship, there is a co-conservator called Andrew yes. Wallet, who um, has been doing this. Also, for his name being Wallet is uh, it's so on the <laughs> nose, isn't it? Andrew Moneybags. Andrew, I want money now. <laughs> yeah, and who asks for yes. more money? Um, just before, just before he resigns, which it kind of helps start this free Britney movement more than ever because. You know, here are people who were going, and at the time you're like, what is going on? When you're seeing, you're starting to see, at the very early days, when you're starting to see the Free Britney movement, you're like, what is going on here? Is this, you know, and I like the fact that uh, it talks about, even if it's, we don't know if it's true or not, but the idea that, um, you know, Britney's Instagram, when she does actually start her Instagram, you know, contains these coded messages to give out to her fans because they're looking for some sign that she's okay and she wants some sort of help because she has no control over the narrative around I, her I managed to coax some conspiracy theories out of Louise, actually, um, from this, and she has a lot to say on uh, on the, the Instagram conspiracy, <laughs> which I think is brilliant. Well, the, the free Britney thing kind of was like, only kind of came up around kind of like 2018. Um, because like she did she does have periods where she just like disappears Britney didn't always have like the passwords to like her social media she fully yeah. now has access to her Instagram account like we know that that's her uploading those videos but then she disappeared for a while and then she returned but like the way that she typed just wasn't the same so there was just all of these I don't know there's mad rumours that like other people had seized kind of hold of her of her account and all that kind of thing but like people have been like this is this is my big again like tinfoil hat in. I <laughs> believe that there is someone in Britney's camp who has been intentionally trying to sabotage her career to make her look more unwell than she actually is, so that people yeah. can all be like, "She's crazy, don't listen to her." Say like, do you remember the music video for "Gimme More," where it's like yes. her dancing yeah. in a strip club? There is a different video of that that exists where she looks amazing she is dancing brilliantly like it's one of those videos right. that kind of goes up to youtube and is, and is then removed for like copyright infringement and all that but the video oh. that exists she looks out of it she looks like she can't dance it looks really cheap it looks really trashy yeah but there is a second video that exists and she looks unreal and she is smiling and the whole thing is just like it's just a better it's a better video so that video wasn't released and then this really shoddy crap video was released. So like that kind of thing has happened quite a few times in her. So there's just like all of these little things where it's like sloppiness, where it's probably trying to make it seem like the whole thing's a mess. But it's just so intentionally done because you know that there is a better version that exists. So like that, that's why I think that there's a, that's why 
I think someone is trying to sabotage her career so that people don't take her seriously. I think it's an interesting time for us to be grappling with the idea of a conspiracy that isn't isn't something that we're rolling our eyes at. Uh, like the, the the free Britney movement is so sorry, not the movement, the the thing that the movement is moving against is so bizarre and is so otherworldly to us that yes, it it can sound like a complete conspiracy theory, and it's a weird time to be grappling with that, um, given our relationship with conspiracy theories now. I think the movement really underscores just how seriously pop fans and Britney fans are taking this. In my opinion, it's no coincidence that the movement hasn't been taken as seriously as it should have been uh, due to the fact that it is run by primarily women and LGBT pop fans who are people both inside and outside of the music industry who just aren't really taken that seriously. And I think the documentary did a really good job of showing how serious the the actual fight to to free Britney is that this isn't fan conspiracies this isn't people looking for hidden messages on an Instagram where there aren't any like this is this is a serious legal battle that is happening with one of the world's most famous women who we haven't heard from in years um and it's something that deserves to be taken seriously I think and it should it shouldn't matter whether it is in pop or not because pop pop music is not frivolous pop music is a multi 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 billion dollar industry there are vested interests there are economies that can rise and fall on the uh, on the back of pop music and when you look at a country like america that relies so much on celebrity culture for its own cultural identity the the story of Britney Spears is indicative of what can go right and what can go wrong, and I I think it's it's a really defining narrative in the history of American culture because America is such a new country, and it has it leaned into celebrity more than anywhere else in the world. Like our whole ideas of celebrity culture stem from America, and arguably you you could say that the 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 story of the American dream and what that actually looks like for human beings can be found in Britney Spears. And of course, this is the conservatorship battle is ongoing. It's in court just this week, even. even. So again, this is ongoing. This is going to happen. There's another hearing scheduled for March 17th. This is something that's happening right now. And so this isn't something that we've, it isn't over. And that is why that Free Britney movement is there. And that's why it's still going. And this is, um, Shining a light, um, the documentary certainly does shine a light on Britney and the problems around it and the conservatorship and kind of ludicrous craziness that it entails, like looking after making all personal and business decisions for uh, a person who is clearly able to look after herself at the moment and uh, has no problem doing world tours. And um, in the meantime, uh, for pop fans, what that means is she has said she is scared of her father and she refuses to uh, perform until he has stepped down from the conservatorship. So that's the way of her wrestling back control in some way. I think for, for, for young pop fans now who might watch this documentary, I feel such a sense of shame um, for how how Britney was treated, and I th- 
there were throughout the documentary, I tried to watch it from a a kind of an objective space because I I was a teenage girl while all of this was happening and I was to to varying degrees engaging with it or not engaging with it. And I think that the what the documentary really showed was the shameful attitudes of of everybody really towards you towards Britney as as a young woman I don't believe in this whole we are all to blame narrative I I have to say that though I I don't like the idea that people are coming out and saying that that people are coming out and saying that that the fans are to blame for for reading it in the first place no it's it the the onus here and the duty of care is solely on the people who are who are benefiting financially from the demise of Britney Spears' mental health. This is like that. That is very important to say. There there have been some responses, uh, two notable ones uh, since the documentary came out. Glamour magazine uh, wrote an apology to Britney on their Instagram on Tuesday and said, we are all to blame for what happened to Britney Spears. I understand where they're coming from there. I don't necessarily agree from it. And blogger Perez Hilton, who I was disappointed to not see more of or about in the documentary to be honest I was hoping that he would I, I mean you have to assume he was reached out to like it it would be insane to have the story of Britney yeah. Spears did it say at the end of the documentary it says all these people were reached out to but I think it would mostly focus on the family yeah but 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 Perez Hilton wasn't involved in the, in the documentary and didn't have a say in it whether or not he was reached out to I'll have to check but um I, I was hoping for for just just a, a a point in the narrative where he, where his influence on her career was recognized so he speaking on his podcast uh this week said my words and actions were wrong i was nasty meal cruel mean cruel inconsiderate awful i have apologized to britney not just publicly but privately but of course perez hilton's career is still going and it's still going in 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 the same way there's it, there is a a market for the kind of thing that perez hilton produces um yeah, the salubrious gossip has, is still has value in today's society. And I hope that it continues to get smaller. And I hope that his career doesn't have many years uh, ahead of it. Uh, I mean, I only only from reading that quote did I learn he had a podcast. Uh, so, but again, that's not that's not my world. So maybe not the the conversation that this has sparked cannot be and isn't solely around the legal implications of the conservatorship. It is centered on our treatment of women, our treatment of young women, especially, and our our ownership over pop stars. And I think it did that really, really well. I, I wish it was longer. I It was, what, 70 odd minutes? I, I, I kind of wish it was feature length because I, I do think that there were things that I wanted to see more of. But I thought it did a great job. Yeah, but I think it was nice that it just focused on, you know, the conservatorship. I think there is a an untold story around Britney that, um, you know, will come out and hopefully it'll be with her blessing. Um, but also I just want to say, like, I mean, you're seeing the control, uh, like control in pop music and control of um, entertainment and celebrities is something that, you know, 
we've talked we, like it's currently a very hot button uh, issue in in pop culture look at um taylor swift and um her masters being taken uh, from her from scooter braun and then her trying to relinquish control by recording new versions of these songs it is something that uh, comes back that is perennially around us um to do with pop culture because whoever controls the narrative whoever controls the music whoever controls the licensing all that kind of thing publishing and um, they are in control of the story and the money and then the artist is no longer it's really not enough to do this lip service thing of uh is isn't it great that she's looking after her mental health yes it is absolutely no one is arguing with that but when you look at how the how, how the media landscape and particularly the kind of pop mainstream landscape has like this the, what what is happening or what, what happened to Britney hasn't changed. It's just changed its target. If you look at reality TV stars over the past decade or so or, or, or 15 years, reality TV stars are, are, are being subjected to the same torture as Britney Spears. They're like the the rise of social media has meant that, yes, you, you can control your narrative a little bit more, but but not really. Like there's, there's still gossip magazines and there's still gossip web, or probably not magazines, but there's still gossip websites that are treating young people who are in reality television, who are in K-pop, who are in these spaces, like they are toys and dolls and stories and clicks. So just because no one's buying Heat magazine anymore doesn't mean that there isn't an industry that is running on the gradual decline of the mental health of young people. And to say that we've like what the, the a, a lot of the narrative that is kind of coming out now around this is a lot of people patting themselves on the back and saying, haven't we come so far? I don't believe we've come that far. Amy Winehouse didn't die that long ago. Um, the conversation around Kesha didn't happen that long ago. This is something that we're still dealing with, and it is the it is the ownership of young people's bodies, particularly women's bodies, the sexualization of teenagers, the uh, the, the the victim blaming of young people, and it has to stop because people people are dying, and people have been dying, and the fact that Britney Spears has lived this long is astounding, and that's that's a really stark thing to think about. Like if 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 you were hedging your bets in 2004, you would not have said that in 2021, Britney Spears would still be alive because the precedent for that just isn't there. Um, um, yeah, I get really angry about this. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, I mean, I think in anyone who, if you can get a copy, uh, I know the documentary was going up on YouTube and being disappeared. It's not the bad, probably the best place to see it because, you know, um, it is a, a Hulu FX production with the New York Times and uh, the best way to see it is uh, through an official source or, um, you know, if you're, if you're good with VPNs and all that kind of stuff, you may be able to find a version of it. But, um, you know, it, I'm sure it will be shown at some point um, in some sort of Irish air time um, or, or UK or European that we may be able to access as well. Okay. Um, do we have any? I think we can probably give the final word on, uh, on what it's like to be a Britney Spears fan now uh, to Louise Bruton. And uh, thank you so much to Louise for her uh, contribution to this episode. I don't think I would have been able to understand the, um, 
the the nuances of the Britney narrative without having chatted to her. So thank you, Louise. And what what is it like to be a Britney Spears fan now today? Like I love I like I love Britney Spears. Like she's probably the, the thing that I'm most passionate about. Um mm. like just because she is she's iconic. But yeah, as a Britney Spears fan, I've had to defend my my choices <laughs> for for years. Um <laughs> because like most people are yeah. like she can't sing, she can't dance, her music's crap. Um and then because from a certain point on like um from about like 2009 on you're just kind of like oh I actually just want the best for her so then when people are like slagging off her music or her dancing you're like no there's so much more going on and people and people like fully were just like yeah whatever she's shit and it's like and now I see I see those same (laughs) I see those same people being like poor Britney we we need to look after her like that's that's fully happening now so I see you all (laughs) (laughs) yeah All right, we will be back um, next week with a special chat uh, to Wyvern Lingo, who have a new album out um, at the end of this month. And we will be chatting to him all about some influences, um, some songs that influence them and their recording of their second album, Awake You Lie. And also some chat about some interesting things that they may be doing around the album and the release, uh, including a candle. Mm. So, yes, a Wyvern Lingo candle. So do stay tuned to that. That will be out uh, next week. And uh, in the meantime, if you like what you're hearing and you want us to keep supporting us, it's uh, patreon.com forward slash nine or nine. I do playlists and all sorts of things. I'm um, andrea.substack.com. Uh, Follow Louise at Luberachi on Twitter and read all of her brilliant writings. Um, she has a thread at the moment actually on her Twitter of some of the articles she's written about Britney Spears. I highly recommend giving those a read. Um, she's a an excellent critic and a stone cold legend. There you are, legend. All right, Louise and uh, Andrea, thank you, thank you so now. much. And uh, we will be back Bye. next week. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.